Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hypothesis. I'm Killian. I'm Amandine. And this week, uh, we're sort of continuing on the theme from last week, which is talking about our favorite things in science. So yeah. last week, I went on my little rant, or not so little rant, um, <laughs> about vaccines and adjuvants and all that kind of thing. And then this week, Amandine's going to go on her rant. So yeah. what, what are you going to talk about? Gene regulation. Ooh. And I was thinking, you know, people were like, Amandine, why are you interested in science? What do you like? And I'm like, oh, like how genes are regulated, how things are connected, like proteins and all. Yeah, thank you, Killian. He's yawning. And that's what I was going <laughs> to say. That's a joke. Every, that's a joke. Every, yeah, but that's how people actually react. They're like, that is so boring. And to be I, honest, yeah. when I say it like that, it does sound boring. But I am here to convince you that it's actually really interesting. And Oh, it's just, it's so great. It's so complex. And I mean, I won't make, I'm going to try make it kind of easy to understand um, because, you know, I can only understand it if it's kind of easy to understand, <laughs> but um, it's just crazy how complex everything is and how everything needs to be perfect for your body to work. So that's basically what I'm going to be talking about, how your genes need nice. to be perfectly regulated for you to be perfect. Uh, so I think I'll start by just briefly introducing people to what a gene is if they don't know it's actually debated what a gene actually is even among geneticists uh, for you know just for now I'm going to say that a gene is the part of the DNA that's transcribed into RNA and then that RNA could potentially become a protein you can translate it into a protein or it will just stay as RNA and sometimes it can function as an RNA and so the whole central dogma is that DNA makes RNA and the RNA makes protein. Classic. So just a little recap. <laughs> yeah, the classic. I actually, I, I really despise the term central dogma. And I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's just because I've seen it so many times yeah, and I'm like, no, so many cares. lectures. <laughs> yeah. stuff. Well, let's look at the central dogma. It's like, come yeah. on. No, one, it's the same every time, obviously, which is why it's the central dogma. But it, it is important. I, I understand it's important. I just don't like that it's, what, that it's called the central dogma. Hmm. Anyways, so if you want, the way your gene is expressed is through transcription. So you have all this transcriptional machinery that binds to the DNA and transcribes it into RNA. And that's how you get your RNA. And then, as I said, from your RNA into your protein. But as I also said, things can function as RNA. So keep that in mind, because I think that's something that every, even I forget, to be honest, you, you really do forget that, like even ribosomes, which are a pretty important complex in the cell, which translate the RNA into protein, that there are so many or RNAs, which are ribosomal RNAs that make up that complex. So things can function as RNA as well, because when you think of a gene product, I know myself, I would just go straight to protein, but you know, mm. there's RNA as well. And so the, reg the way genes are regulated actually differs between eukaryotes and prokaryotes. Um, for people that don't know, uh, pro we actually said this before and I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to explain it. But very generally, a prokaryote is a cellular organism that doesn't have a nucleus. It's just an organism that their cells don't have a nucleus. And um, so their DNA is just floating about. And then, as Killian said, actually, in yeah. that episode, you're like, oh, it's just a vibe in or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I did yeah. say that. that was wow, funny. I'm hilarious. <laughs> so funny, Killian. And then in the eukaryotic cells, uh, the DNA is within the nucleus. 
And so in bacteria, the default set of like a gene is going to be on. So all genes are going to be on unless they're repressed. So protein combined um, to say the promoter, which is a region, it's a sequence of the DNA, but it just doesn't code for anything. What it codes, if you're going to say it's coding for something, it's just a site to say bind here if you want to transcribe this gene. Mm. And so in bacteria, you can have repressors that bind to the promoter or other regions along near where the gene is and that'll stop it from being transcribed otherwise as i said default set setting is the gene is on in oh. eukaryotes that's a bit different um and so we our default setting is a gene is off because it actually takes a lot of energy to transcribe and you know a gene and translate it into a protein and yeah, why i'm would so you tired from transcribing yeah i know <laughs> so why would you do that if you don't have to yeah um and another thing is, well, with eukaryotes is that our DNA is, as I said, within a nucleus. So it's not as easy, as easily accessed as, say, a, a prokaryote or like a bacteria where the DNA is just floating about. It is in like a little region, which I actually forget now what it's called. There's a name for it of like the region that it kind of the space that it takes up in the bacterial cell. Mm. Um, but it is just open for proteins to kind of attach if it needs to, whereas in a eukaryote you need to get into the nucleus first and then bind the region that you need to bind and one reason you know people are like oh what is gene regulation like what's the point for example your cells so it's actually it's actually baffling so your cells have this each cell in your whole body has the exact same dna in it but all your cells are completely well they're not all completely different but like say all the tissues are really different what genes are expressed in different cell types mm. so you get differential gene expression for example you know in your eye you have photoreceptors that can sense light you wouldn't have that in your muscle like why would you want to sense light there in your muscles you have myosin which you know it's in your muscle and like you don't want that in your eye you don't you know so you have loads of different cell types expressed like your neurons they're going to be in your brain what happened you know something actually that's really interesting is like what would happen if you had a neuron expressed in your leg like i don't know no sorry okay well. actually there that's what i was gonna say there are <laughs> oh my god that was such the worst example i wanted to say photos okay guys neurons i i know i know you have nerve cells that go all around your body i actually do know that <laughs> that's like <laughs> I'm sorry. That was such a dumb mistake to make, but I think that it was so it's funny dumb though. that it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's appropriate. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like a photoreceptor, you know, something that yes. senses light in your leg. I can't believe I said that. That's so funny. <laughs> At um, first, it's a very different type of neuron, isn't it? Yeah, like, like modern neurons. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't no, know. I I'm not a neuroscientist. Same. I don't know. I, I, don't I, assume the, the, I assume the brain ones are different to the leg ones. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's just I, say that. They're a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. I just meant, yeah, to be honest, when I was thinking neurons, I was like, what if there was a brain in your leg? <laughs> but um, then I was like, surely you could genetically manipulate a fly to have a brain growing out of its leg because they did like, you know, the antennapedia with the antenna growing out of, or no, legs growing out of where the antenna should be. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, that was just, that's a bit of a tangent yeah. but, uh... anyways going back to gene expression um there are some genes so like i said you know diff that are differentially expressed but there are genes that are expressed in every cell so you know like your housekeeping genes stuff that make up your cytoskeleton maybe uh the yeah. health word 
yeah, yeah, Sadio's got out of his door. I think I just think you need to probably explain that to people. Yeah, it's just like um, you know, if you did junior (laughs) biology, and uh, there's a picture of a cell, and it's just a circle, and then you have (laughs) cytoplasm, (laughs) and it's just this empty space. Well, it's actually not empty space. It's filled with lots of stuff. Um, like, and does that make up your cytoskeleton? Yeah. So like, it's sort of like, I, I know we were taught that it's sort of, it's like a scaffold. Cytoskeleton is like the scaffold that all the, you know, different things in your cells are sort of put onto and it allows them to be transported and stuff. So like all of your cells need some sort of scaffold. So that's something that you have in every cell, I guess. And the cytoskeleton is actually something that I don't completely understand because there's like actin or there's like filaments and there's like yeah. lines connecting, but they're actually kind of like rail. What are, yeah. What's it called? Like a rail, a track or something. Yeah, it's kind of like a track. Like a lot of proteins, proteins can, can move, move along, along those tracks. Yeah. Yeah, which is people really weird. Ima- yeah, because people imagine p- proteins like floating around inside. Yeah, that's what I think as well. Every yeah. time I think I of protein. I always think that, but then when I think of the actual mechanism, like, no, yeah, it's actually more Yeah, I have to remind like myself. Tracks. But the thing yeah. is, there's so many tracks that they can go so many different places. That's almost like it's fluid, you know? Yeah. So it's but. not like the rail infrastructure that we have here in Ireland. No. Um, <laughs> that's, no. that's a completely different tension. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Department um, of Transport. Get your stuff together. <laughs> Hypothesis is calling you out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then in some uh, cells, you you know, you have genes that are completely switched off. One thing that we touched on in the sex episodes. I mean, I actually don't remember if we did or not, but surely we talked about X inactivation. Oh, um, I think we did. Whereby, like, in... So females are you know they've an xx xx chromosomes and males have xy and in the females to kind of even out so it's like dosage situation because you would have double the amount of genes on the x since the y is so small you need to inactivate one of them and so all of those genes would be switched off and so there's just lots of different ways of regulating and another really interesting thing is that gene expression or the expression of different gene cycles with different for example, the cell cycle with circadian rhythm. So that's, uh, what's the lay term for that? Body clock. Body clock, that's the one. <laughs> with your body clock, which is actually really interesting. Um, and mm-hmm. something that I didn't realize was a thing, but it's something that I'm actually really interested in and I know nothing about. So I'm obviously not that interested in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I just thought that was really cool. And they also, your genes ex- are expressed differently in response to different stimuli so for example if you're exposed to uv light now this okay i'm gonna admit it's a made-up example but it seems legit to me so if you're exposed to let's say uv which damages your dna i'm sure there will be an increase in like your dna damaging mm. um your dna damage repair systems mm. and something that so i'm gonna mostly be talking about gene regulation at the level of transcription so that's you know switching the gene on and off to make the rna but you can also have uh, gene regulation at the level of of the rna so for example you could break down the rna quicker it could be less stable you could also have it at the level of translation so once it's actually turned into a protein you could have protein degradation so where it gets broken down and so it can't actually mm. carry out its function and then maybe under a certain condition it actually isn't degraded anymore so it can carry out its function yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind that it's not all just the gene being turned on and off, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, something that like I just wanted to interject is like I think it's something that people forget a lot of the time that like it can be 
you know, regulated to so many different levels because there's a whole yeah. area, you know, called transcriptomics. Obviously, you know mm-hmm. about this, but for people who don't know, <laughs> you're looking at cells and you're essentially looking at what genes are transcribed. So mm-hmm. kind of like turned on. But that yeah. doesn't always tell you the full story because, as you say, it can be regulated at different levels. So mm-hmm. you could have a whole load of cells and you're saying, oh, this gene is being transcribed. That means it's working. Yeah. But if you look at it more closely, it might be that at a later stage when it's being translated into protein or once the protein is made, it gets destroyed. So it doesn't actually yeah. do anything. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, it's all very big picture sort of yeah, stuff. You can't it's, just it's look at one thing. connected. Yeah. yeah. There's so, so that, many. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's so many pathways and stuff. And the thing is as well, genes aren't always just on and off. Like there are on and off switches, but I'm pretty sure there's more like, not like a dial switch, like a dimmer switch where you can kind of, you know, have more or less. It doesn't have to be a binary like on and off. Mm. And so as I was saying earlier about the promoters, which is that little part, it's it's not a protein because I think people get confused when they're first learning about, I know I did, of what the promoter actually is. It's a DNA sequence and it happens just before the gene. Hmm. And sometimes you can have a promoter that'll control a number of genes. So that would be called an operon. And that's, you know, a couple of genes that are kind of in the same place along the DNA that are controlled by the same promoter. And usually they do carry out a similar function. And so you can have this promoter that turns on and off and you can have promoters in your cell that are always on. So these are constitutively activated or constitutively expressed. You can have promoters that are inducible, which means that they will turn on and off in response to a specific chemical. And one of the really famous examples of that is the lac operon. So this, yeah, yeah, everyone who, I mean, anyone that does biology, I suppose has heard of the lac operon, but it's just, um, it's in bacteria. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's in bacteria where it's how they break down lactose. And so usually a bacteria would be using uh, glucose as their energy source. But if there's uh, lactose present, then this system, so this system is actually usually repressed. Um, And so the repressor is bound to the promoter region. So the transcriptional machinery doesn't have access to, you know, transcribe the gene, but in the presence of lactose, it can, (laughs) now I'm like, oh, I don't want to lose people, but basically (laughs) lactose is present. There's some sort of chemical reaction. So it looks a little bit different. And basically um, the repressor gets bound by something that removes it from the DNA. So now the DNA is free to be bound by the transcriptional machinery and you can get transcription of the gene and that way it's actually three genes um, that are all involved in getting the lactose into the cell, breaking it down into lactate. Oh no, lactose, sorry, breaking the lactase down. I actually don't know what it breaks it into. Well, lactase is the enzyme, isn't it? It's the enzyme. That, yeah, yeah, I know it's the enzyme, described. but I can't remember what it's breaking it, breaks, it up into. Yeah. I can't remember the product. I don't remember. You know? It's very, it doesn't matter though. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> irrelevant, but um, <laughs> then in more, you can get more complex systems where, say for example you have your inducer so that's the chemical that'll bind and it could bind to something which will turn on a gene and that gene could be a regulatory protein and so you get these primary genes or like a primary response where the inducer binds to something which will turn on these genes straight away and then these genes can turn into proteins and they might bind to another promoter to turn on secondary genes. So the primary genes don't need anything to happen. They just need the inducer to be there, but the secondary genes need the primary genes, for example, to be turned on and transcribed. And they need this protein synthesis to take place before they themselves can be turned on. 
Right. And something that's really important, I think, in in gene regulation is that there's a lot of the time it's a cascade of events. You know, you get a signal in which triggers something else, which triggers this thing, which turns on all these genes. And then finally, a protein can be transcribed in the cell. And a lot of the time, the first protein is a transcription factor, which controls transcription of loads of other genes. So it really is, you know, it's not just this thing binds and this happens. A lot of the time, you know, you can't just go from A to B. You go through all these steps before you finally get the genes that you actually want turned on, which is really important it, it means it's a really highly controlled process and yeah it's just yeah it's I I don't I'm not very good at articulating myself I know what I'm, it's basically yeah it's just really tightly controlled and yeah. so you limit the amount of errors that you can make when when you're reacting to a specific response yeah um, doing some of the pathway stuff that we're doing recently you realize how much regulation there is at so many steps when there's loads yeah. of steps involved like it could yeah. be something that like if a cell doesn't have a certain amount of a certain compound, then that leads to a reaction where let's say the 10th step can't happen anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it's like every step has some sort of a lot mm-hmm. of the time regulation. Yeah. So that's why it's important to have so many because exactly. the cell has to react to, to changes. And that's how it does that. Mm-hmm. When something changes for the cell, something in that pathway will change. Yeah. Like I just think, yeah, it is, it is interesting. It is the regulation and all the interactions that need to take place. And I think that's becoming a really big thing, especially in like computational biology, or I don't know if computational is the right word stuff on the computer, <laughs> like bioinformatics, com- you know, they, yeah, yeah. yeah, like they do mathematical modeling, not even math. Oh, I mean, yeah. They do modeling of interactions and you can see do stuff binds and what will happen and that stuff. It's, it's pretty complicated. I don't really understand it that much, but I think that's a really cool way of looking at it. And yeah. I think we're moving away from looking at a specific gene and what that specific pathway does and more into how does this, this pathway interact with a whole network um, as opposed to, you know, just each individual pathway doing its own things because yeah. it really is a network. Um, another type of promoter uh, is a tissue specific promoter. And that's kind of similar to what I was saying with the differential expression or yeah differential gene expression because a tissue specific promoter will only turn on in a specific tissue type so like i said with the photoreceptors in the eye and (laughs) the neurons not only in the brain (laughs) um and the myosin in the muscle you know you can have this tissue specific expression and that's actually really useful all these different promoters are really useful when doing uh, genetic studies like transgenic making different animal models and things like that because you can have a gene for example that will only turn on if you if it's say if it's an inducible promoter you can put that promoter in front of any gene that you want and potentially and then you can put that into the organism you're looking at or into the cell and you'll say okay I only want this gene to turn on at this specific point in time and so you can just add in your chemical inducer whenever you want that gene on. And a lot of the time it's used in sort of developmental biology to see, you know, is this protein involved in development? What happens if I overexpress it? Things like that. You can have it constitutively activated. If it's something that usually only turns on sometimes, what happens if it's always there? And same with tissue specific. If say you're trying to look at a specific gene that might interact with another protein in the brain you can get a brain specific i don't know you know like obviously i'm making yeah. it simple but like a, a brain specific promoter so mm. that it's only expressed in the brain so really understanding how 
the promoters work, how gene regulation works will help you, you know, with, with your other studies, your other sort of genetic studies. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to mention that. Um, and so how the, the actual gene is turned on. And when I say turned on, I just mean transcribed. Um, you can have negative regulation whereby there's usually a repressor. So that's what I was talking about with the lack operon. Mm. And then, you know, once something happens, that repressor gets taken away and then your gene gets transcribed. Or you can have activators. So that's positive regulation. And so the activator would be a protein that binds to the promoter or close to it, which says to, you know, the transcriptional machinery, come here, you know, it's time to transcribe this. And that activator yeah. could be, you know, as I was saying earlier, controlled by something else in response to this signal. So it's all, all connected. Yeah. So, so those and, proteins that bind, they're not always repressors. Yeah. So they sometimes, no. so when you say that like it binds to a gene and it like turns it on, is that by attracting other things to the gene or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's always, yeah, it's by getting the transcriptional machinery, so like the okay. polymerase to bind to the DNA to start, because the polymerase is just floating about. That's the machinery right. that transcribes it. So yeah. it's usually just floating about, and you want to say, okay, it's time to promote, it's time to turn on this gene, it's time to transcribe it, bind here. Right, and then and am I so, right in thinking in the case of repressors then, they're like physically blocking mm -hmm. The polymerase. Yeah. And so that's one way. Know. I'm sure yeah. there's, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's other ways that I actually yeah. don't completely understand, but the physical blocking is definitely, definitely a thing. And then when um, you remove it, it can then bind and stuff. And so once yeah. you, yeah, once you get it out of the way, then there's room for the, the machinery to bind exactly okay. and yeah. transcribe. And in eukaryotes, we have these things as well called enhancers. So if you look at DNA, if you look at it as a, as a linear sort of structure, um, you would have, let's say, your promoter somewhere along it. You would have the gene right beside it. And then far away, you have this thing called an enhancer. And so you're like, how is this involved in regulating the gene? But the thing is, your DNA is actually folded up in your cell in the nucleus. Uh, yeah. You know, so actually in 3D space, your enhancer is really close to the promoter. You know, mm. it looks like you could bend it over like a piece of paper if you have, you know, something on one side, something on the other, they're far away. But if you fold it over, they're actually touching. Yeah. And so the enhancer can work kind of similar to an activator whereby proteins will bind to the enhancer that will bring in this transcriptional machinery and say, you know, come here, it's time to just transcribe this gene. And you can control gene regulation or sorry, you can control transcription of genes by having the promoter you know, far away, you can, you can literally, you can physically fold a promoter into a different fold in the DNA, uh, you know, and have it separated. So it never has access to the promoter only when you need it to. Okay. And so folding of DNA is another form of gene regulation that I think, you know, people tend to forget about. I know I forget about it because it's not exactly, I don't know. We don't learn about it as much. Um, I suppose when you do specialize in genetics, you do a little bit more, but in the beginning when you're learning about it, not really. Yeah. So a lot of time we sort of think of genetics, at least in other courses, I think most of the time it's sort of a linear thing. Mm. It's either linear or like a circle, like a plasmid. <laughs> we don't usually yeah, think of exactly. how it actually yeah. exists in this, like, you know, these folded up chromosomes and all that sort of. Exactly. Yeah. So, so your DNA as we're saying, we can look at it as a line, but it's actually, and they always use, I actually hate this as well, beads on a string. It's oh, yeah. Because it, sorry. So they use beads on a string to explain 
DNA being wrapped around histone proteins, which I understand that it does look like beads on a string. But when you have beads, <laughs> you, have, you have the string going through the beads and it's not really like that. It's more like the DNA is wrapped around it and then it goes to the next bead. And instead of going you know, through the hole, it's wrapped around it. And yeah. so you have this yeah, DNA and protein sort of complex and that is actually another way to regulate gene expression. Usually, so your DNA can be tightly bound to this protein. And so again, it's the whole thing about having physical access to the DNA. Um, and so, you know, you have this, these two types of chromatin. So chromatin is like, instead of a chromosome, which is when, you know, the typical X shape that we think of, um, it's own, your DNA only looks like that X shape when it's dividing. Usually it just looks like, I don't know, noodles in a bowl, which I think yeah. I mentioned before. Um, and so when it's in that state, you can have euchromatin and heterochromatin. And that's where in the euchromatin, it's more loose. It's more loose. Your DNA is more loose and it's not as compact as it is in heterochromatin. So there's more access for proteins to get in and things like that. Mm. And so your DNA is negatively charged and the proteins that it binds to has these little tails. So the protein is called histone and has these tails, which is just like amino acids kind of sticking out of it. Mm. And they often can be altered. So for example, lysine is one of the amino acids um, that is positively charged. So it binds tightly to DNA, which is negatively charged. But then if you acetylate, so you add an acetyl group, which I don't do chemistry, so I don't actually know what it looks like mm. or what it does, but it basically neutralizes the positive charge from that lysine yeah. so that the DNA isn't bound as tightly. And so in that way, you can control um, gene expression because now the DNA is free and something can come and bind. And in the same way, well, I suppose it's a bit different, is DNA methylation. So this is instead of methylating the histone, you add this methyl group um, to the actual DNA. So it binds to the C of DNA, which is cysteine, is it? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, binds to the cysteine. And a lot of the time you have these things called CPG islands. So they're, it's just basically a region of your DNA that has lots of Cs and lots of Gs. And that can be methylated. And that methylation is usually seen alongside inactive kind of regions in, mm. in your genome. Um, so right. yeah, because it's usually, so your, so your DNA can be, they're split into different chromosomal territories in the nucleus. So it's kind of like different sections for each chromosome. And then within that, you can have the compartments. So that's what I was saying with the euchromatin and the heterochromatin. And then even deeper within that, you can have those loops that I was saying with, you know, separating the enhancers from your promoters. And so you can have this really tightly controlled gene expression. And so it sounds kind of, I don't know, I hope I made that clear. Yeah, I, I think, uh, so when you're talking about the histone modifications, I think that made sense to me that like when it's tightly bound to the histones, because it has the modifications to make the histones positively charged, then it can't be accessed. So it's not expressed, I mm -hmm. assume. So, yeah. but then methylation, 
is that something you do when you want to express a gene or when you don't want to express no, a gene? No, when you don't. Okay, but the so thing that's about another met- form of blocking, is it? Yes, it's like okay. a silencing thing. But yes. the thing about methylation um, that I actually, I can't really remember fully what it is, but it's something about methylation can be passed down. It's sort of, you can inherit it. Yes, I, I, do, I definitely have heard of some of this. Yeah. Methylation patterns can be passed on. Yeah. yeah That's actually I'm a bit so... of a thing in immunology at the moment, I think. Oh, really? It's, it, I, well, I briefly mentioned in the last episode about this, like I said the innate immune system couldn't learn, but actually mm-hmm. the way they think it might be learning in some way is that yeah. some of your innate cells, if they you know interact with certain infections, they'll have a different methylation pattern and they'll pass mm-hmm. that on to their offspring. So yeah. that in some way they're kind of learning, but not in the same way that your adaptive mm-hmm. immune cells do. But yeah, that's just yeah. a bit of a tangent. But yeah, no, that's the methylation that is... and gene regulation is important in all fields, you know? Yeah, it actually is. Like gene regulation is really important. I think understanding it is really important because you you can just use it for so many yeah. experiments to see will this to, to just basically understand how systems work. That's what I was thinking when you were talking about the alum as like an adjuvant i was like how surely they would know step by step i don't know yeah how you can figure out step by step like surely if you add the alum you get some sort of change in gene expression you know i know you're saying i know it's different because not everything is genetics (laughs) but um yeah i don't know i think with genetics you're able to really figure out how a system works and using it for bio like biotechnology is really important well not really important but it's, it's pretty cool i think um, and <laughs> you know it could be important it, too <laughs> yeah like for example the um inducible promoter uh actually as part of my project i'm looking at inducible promoters but in plants basically i'll okay i'll go a little bit into it <laughs> of how plants mm-hmm. uh, respond to inducers and basically i'm looking at their immune response so there's this specific response called uh, systemic acquired resistance and so that's in response to a pathogen that's biotrophic so it's going to eat the plant leaves for example so let's say your plant leaf is being eaten you're like oh my god no (laughs) what do i do (laughs) and so their first response is this thing it's their hypersensitive response so they're like okay it's time to kill every single cell around the one that's being eaten because they know that if they're killing their own cells then the pathogen can't spread because it lives off living tissue so is the pathogen like a small enough one that's it's living inside the cells is it yes it depends it actually depends it's just an a pathogen yeah 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 sorry sorry it's living inside the cells yeah it's not like a bug or it's not like an insect it's not like something eating on top of the leaf no that's a different response okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and um and basically it leads it, it it basically leads to this whole cascade of events that means that the rest of the plant that isn't infected actually has increased resistance so if you add Mm. say that virus or that bacteria again um to another plant part of the plant that wasn't originally infected it's actually immune or it has a an increased response and it's able to basically kill the pathogen before it gets killed um and so the reason it does this is because of this inducible promoter. You get this increase in, in a chemical that spreads throughout the plant. And so you get the expression of resistant genes in response to that chemical. And so that's what I was saying about all the networks and all the pathways, because you get the first signal of, okay, this plant, you know, I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you can send us, you can in, change your gene regulation. You can say, okay, now I'm going to start sending out 
signals of uh, I'm in trouble, please help me. And they spread throughout the plant. And then you can get increased expression of resistant genes in parts of the plant that weren't even infected in the first place. Right, because that chemical that interacts with the promoters goes all around the plant. The plant. Exactly. Yeah? Okay. It might not necessarily go all around the plant itself. It could, for example, signal to another molecule, which will go all around the plant. Oh, and right. Oh, yeah. Do the because same of course, thing. it's all these systems. You know? yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose putting it simply, yes, but it doesn't actually necessarily travel itself. It just yeah, sends it doesn't need the to be that out. particular message. It can pass yeah. on to another message that leads to the same result. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And so, what you can do is you can see that you can find out, say, what normal chemical gets passed out to turn on those uh, resistance genes in the parts that weren't originally infected. And you can say, okay, what if I, for example, made transgenic plants, because like loss of crops to pathogens, you know, you can, it leads to like a decrease in in food supply, for example, right? And so if you could make plants resistant to pathogens, before they even get infected, perhaps you could increase crop yield, for Mm. example. And so you could maybe make transgenic plants that would respond to an inducible promoter, for example, Mm. you know, stuff like that. Um, But that was completely off topic. (laughs) Well, no, it wasn't off topic. No, that that makes sense. It sort of puts it in the context because I always like just hear general things about like GMOs. That's like, oh, we're modifying a plant so that it's more resistant to like this pathogen or this whatever and i never mm-hmm. really thought about how that would actually work in a plant but now that you've described all those yeah, events it yeah. sort of makes sense and now mm-hmm. i love gmos even more <laughs> so <laughs> yeah just catch you nibbling gmos in the corner <laughs> yeah delicious um, yeah and so the thing with understanding those different promoters and how they work is that like i said you can for example, with the resistance genes, turn them on only in response to your inducer. Because say if you had them always expressed, because there are genes in plants that are always on, maybe that would actually, if they were always expressed, be toxic to the plant. Or maybe if you simply ate the food, it would taste bad, you know, because mm. it is a protein. It's making stuff that could taste yeah. funky, <laughs> which is actually something that I'm really, I mean, that would be pretty cool to look at. <laughs> like which, which protein, when you express it, tastes the funkiest yeah <laughs> that's gonna be my phd proposal it's, a, it's an interesting word to use <laughs> not like which? which one is is like not tasty or tastes bad you're specifically looking for which protein tastes funky yeah funky obviously <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to put things into a good or bad category you know that's it's true a, funky it's a is a bit mindset what what how do you where does funky come into that is that a good word for you <laughs> yeah yeah i would oh, say really? funky no if, yeah. if, if you told me something tasted funky i'd be like i'm not eating okay that. yes but it depends <laughs> on the context like <laughs> something like oh my god your earrings are so funky <laughs> yeah, but that's not something that's you good. eat yeah, i don't no, want to eat not. your earrings <laughs> well okay. if you said oh that apple was funky i'm not gonna be like well, yeah it wouldn't eat. be it wouldn't be ideal yeah it, no, okay it funky means less than ideal <laughs> okay i think it's good to know that's or a scientific just a bit, definition. It's just a bit <laughs> odd. All right. If you see that in any scientific papers, guys. You know, yeah, the they plagiarized. Means, yeah, funky means less than ideal. Less than ideal, comma, odd. No, maybe se- semicolon, odd. Okay. Yeah, that's the definition of funky. Um, but yeah, I to be honest, 
don't have that much to say about gene regulation besides that. Um, because I feel like if I keep going, it's going to be just me talking about signaling cascades, which I, I understand they're a bit different. So, But they are involved in, in gene regulation and they're all connected. Like I was saying, it's all connected. So I don't really know where to draw the lines of what is yeah. simply gene regulation. And because I suppose if you boil it down, you're really looking at just the simple gene regulation. You just say, okay, it's the activators, it's the repressors, it's the transcription factors, it's yeah. the promoters. But um, there is the whole network of, you know, getting the signal in the first place, having to get that signal passed down, having to respond to the environment. That's something that's really interesting, like having to be able to respond to your environment and change your gene expression in response to that is really crazy. And, and the, not the, I know I said it before that I didn't know anything about the circadian rhythm, but that's really cool as well. Um, yeah. How genes cycle, even internally, you know, you do have an internal body clock um that which this is completely unrelated but mm -hmm. that blue light is so bad because even though I know I'm so bad for it but like blue light in the night is because you know your eyes are being like getting yeah. this light and this I suppose sensory stimulation being like okay it's kind of daytime because I'm seeing blue light but yeah. inside all your genes are you know regulated to the normal outside uh clock yeah. which is saying no it's actually bedtime <laughs> go to sleep yeah um, that, so then you have this yeah. weird dysregulation I remember hearing yeah. you about that yeah um, which, which is why it's, it's, it's less sleep. than ideal huh yeah which is why it can be hard to sleep sometimes if you're just after looking at blue light because your body yeah might tell your brain that it's daytime or something exactly yeah um, and so i wonder how effective those things are like i have that thing on my phone that like after like 10 p.m or something my screen is like slightly orange like it doesn't really the blue colors yeah. don't really come out i, I oh, think really? that makes some difference yeah i should probably get it on I my laptop too but uh, yeah if if anyone knows if those blue like glasses work let us know because yeah i've heard i'm actually really things. interested actually a in, friend of ours work or not. a friend of ours has been recommending them. yeah she said yeah. it's help, helped her sleep yeah um, i know again, i actually do that's, need that's to very anecdotal so yeah. i don't know i want to see the evidence <laughs> yeah i know we need more more than just one sample yeah uh more than one person yeah because i actually do i have been considering getting them and i really 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 want to know if they work or not i've yeah. actually tried looking up papers and i'm like to be quite honest i don't oh. understand what's going on yeah. here oh. i don't study physiology or neuro or anything so i have no idea yeah i wonder have there been like proper like big studies done on blue light glasses and sleep patterns and stuff surely the, see the thing is i'm thinking surely they've been done by people that make blue light glasses yeah unless it sure. didn't work then they wouldn't have published any of their <laughs> then true. they wouldn't have published anything but surely they would have at the beginning been like okay hmm. let's do a study to prove that they, they work yeah so you'd hope that if it does work they'd have that data published and they'd be flaunting yeah. it so exactly. if there's no data yeah. out there then maybe that says something <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe, maybe i'm we... just not looking hard enough <laughs> maybe we, maybe we need to form an independent research group that's going to investigate this yeah yeah. um i'll pass I I but how. like if anyone else wants to do that <laughs> go yeah. ahead be my guest and yeah. give me the data so i can know if i should invest or not yeah th there's your idea guys anyone who yeah. wants to come up with a project there you go <laughs> but uh yeah i think that's all i wanted to say about gene regulation nice. unless you have any more yeah. questions or input <laughs> um i think, we I'm think. do i have any more questions i think i think that's quite well explained it's just like the the general idea of what needs to change Mm -hmm. you know uh, on in terms of your genes and respond to the environment because like in sort of immunology and biochemistry and more general things like that we talk about 
you know, certain stimuli, so certain like chemicals and stuff making the cell do this or that. But I think mm-hmm. sometimes because we're not geneticists, we don't always <laughs> think about every step of that cascade. We look at maybe yeah. all the big proteins involved and stuff like that, but we might not always look yeah. exactly at every genetic detail and mm. remember about the repressors and activators and promoters yeah. and stuff. We do a bit of that, but sometimes in biochemistry, you get a bit lost in the in the bigger proteins. Yeah. That, to be uh, fair, we we don't, we forget about <laughs> the proteins a lot in yeah. genetics, which you actually really should take it into account. And I know that because, and that's what I was saying last week as well about the interdisciplinary exactly, aspect yeah. of it, because you need to know about all of it if you want to know how it all works. Yeah, I think and, that's something we both really like about science as well. So I guess that fits into this episode. Uh, like yeah. this whole interdisciplinary thing of people from different fields coming together to make yeah. something work, like a project yeah. or an idea. Because- there are certain projects where you just you're not going to have people who have the expertise in every mm. possible area you know yeah. like if you're looking at the genetics of a certain immune cell you'll probably want someone who is an absolute expert in genetics and someone who's an absolute expert in immunology like yeah. ideally obviously there are people who are experts in a bit of both but to do like a really big study on something like that you'd want you know people yeah. from all, all different sides and then of course you have people like from computer science and different things like that, you know, coming together with biologists, yeah, but like actually, bioinformatics and computational yeah. biology. Yeah, collaboration is definitely the way forward. And uh, yeah, there are arguments that people should be generalists rather than specialists. Mm. Um, or if we are going to be specialists, we should be better at working with other specialists outside of our speciality, yeah. if you know what I mean. That's <laughs> like, true. No, it's like I think true. ideally, like research groups could probably benefit from being general. And maybe individuals being specific could still be mm-hmm. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe everyone should be quite general. But I think that only works so much. Like if I yeah. was trying to be an expert at everything in biology, I probably wouldn't know an awful lot of detail. No, you couldn't. That's yeah, um, it's too difficult. Knowing everything, even in your own field, is like that's too tough. Like there's so much yeah. about genetics that I. Oh yeah, genetics like, is like still a very broad term. I think when you're in first or second year biology, and you're like wow I'm going to specialize in like genetics I'm only going to be looking at like genes what the hell that's so specific and then once you start studying genetics you're like this is such a massive thing there's so much because you have yeah like you have the the prokaryotes you have eukaryotes you have then you know different eukaryotes you have the vertebrates the invertebrates the plants you have you know you're looking at ancient genetics so like you know ancient genomics you're looking at developmental genetics there's so much there's so much like are you looking at it in the human in the fly why are you looking at it are you looking at you know stem cell biology cancer you know there's just so many aspects yeah Yeah, and they're so different and even within Um, those you could like you could have someone who's looking at cancer genetics but in one lab they're looking at one particular type of cancer gene in another lab a completely different one and they might not know about each other's ideas Mm. at all so you realize the science a lot of the time is like people doing something extremely specialized like mm-hmm. it, it, at least in isolated studies like in one study you're usually doing something that like yeah probably no one else in the world or very few people in the world will be working on that exact thing so you'll pretty much be the expert in it which is kind of cool you know at least in one small aspect <laughs> yeah. of something like yeah. I just think that is cool that uh because it's so broad you could have people quite easily working on things that like no one is thinking about in the precisely same way you know yeah so yeah that's true and and that's why we love science <laughs> yeah <laughs> one I, of the I, many I reasons thought, why maybe maybe that's a good way to wrap it up you know yeah 
think uh, so. <laughs> well done, Killian. Palm the back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. So, <laughs> Becoming an expert at this. <laughs> so yeah, if unless there's anything else you want to add, I think that's that's no, pretty much us. That's it for today. Okay, great. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. And hopefully now you know why we are the way we are <laughs> in terms of what, what we love so much. And uh, maybe that'll help you understand in future episodes why some of us go on certain tangents uh, yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, I definitely go on way too much about vaccines and adjuvants, but now you know uh, why. Yeah, but still, it's class. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. Yeah. Right, thanks, See you guys. next week, guys. Bye. Bye.